You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hello, Riverdale gang. Hey, we're back. We are. That was a long week hiatus, wasn't it? It was. We got confused and hung out on Halloween night and then realized there was no episode. We were fully like, let's go, let's do it, but instead we watched Sabrina with some friends. It's true. Shall we touch on Sabrina real quick? Oh boy, Sabrina. I like it. I like it, Chloe. Yeah, I like it too. I still haven't finished it. <laughs> For the record. I have a busy life, okay? <laughs> Fair. I've had some sick days, so I've been on like... I think I'm on my second rewatch. I've seen the first five episodes two or three times now because I keep starting it over with people who haven't seen it yet. Fair, that happens. Yeah. Um, I'm really uh, delighted overall, and I won't. I didn't realize you weren't finished yet. Okay, I won't gush too hard. Um, I'll just say um, I'm really excited now that the season's out. Um, at some point to talk with uh, Annette Riley again, now yeah. that we have a good sense of uh, what she's done and um, ahead of filming season two, uh, we can talk more. Um, we're also, we're not going to become a Sabrina podcast. Um, I am really excited to just be a fan for Sabrina. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to gush like a fan about that. Um but uh, there is a Chilling Adventures of Sabrina podcast in the Thunder Quack, Quack Network. You can um, find them up uh, through a quick Facebook search or our... Uh, it's linked somewhere in there, right? Like, it, in it's theory, somewhere the in where? Thunder Quack facebook or Oh, I'm sure, probably. Um, it what shouldn't is be it too called? hard to find. The, it's straight up the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina podcast. Right. Like, they jumped on that name. They've got the... The show name, essentially. So it should be easy <laughs> to find. Them. <laughs> I like Riverdale Gang. I'm, I mean, it was I bequeathed down to us, but it works. I like it. Yeah. I feel like we're a gang together, like yeah. you and I, and then we're also a gang with our listeners, and they're also their own gang. Yeah, there's this... It has many levels of meaning. Layers, mm-hmm. loops, circles. Um, it... It really feels like it's been so long since I've done this. Um, I took an extra week off. Um, thank you so much to Kay for uh, covering for me. While I was a theater producer, I, um, you know, sometimes art sneaks up on you and then you just have 12 hours of running around with cars full of pumpkins. Yeah, that actually happened. I can uh, bear witness. I carried pumpkins from the car into the place where they were carved. You were one of so many carrying pumpkins back and forth and in and out of like three or four trips of vehicles and 34 total pumpkins. Yeah. Um, It was a fun little in concert nightmare. And they they really looked good um, on stage. Yeah, as we well. uh, Geek Enders did Nightmare Before Christmas in concert and we had a lot of fun. All of our production designers gave 140%, um, which is a reason that a name concert staging, staging had 34 pumpkins, but uh, I had a blast. Yeah. So uh, that's why I was gone, and um, I'm so delighted. I was I really enjoyed just listening as a listener. Um, <laughs> for once, uh, that's always a treat when I'm not on for a week hmm. to watch the episode and then to listen to you and whoever else is here. Um, so I really loved listening to Kay's uh, perspective. They... Um, there's someone I really just love listening to in general. I find they always, um, radicalize me in awesome ways. <laughs> yeah, that's cash dick for sure. <laughs> Speaking of radicalism, America! <laughs> Speaking of the opposite of radicalism, America. <laughs> well, it depends which type of radicalism. Anyway, <laughs> Uh, so the midterm elections happened yesterday, in case you didn't know, we're living in a hole. It's, um, it's the weird... Democrats took back the House. Yeah. It was... Thank God. It was a little bit of a lot of good in- incremental steps and an enormous amount of backbench stalking. Like, the young down-ticket candidates rocked mm-hmm. this election. Um, it it's was almost like the youth of America are fed up or something. Exhausted and voting, you know, nine million more for Democrats and Republicans, which calculates to a ten-seat split for Republicans, because that's how electoral systems work. Um, we're in this weird whiplash in BC. Uh, I've got the mail-in ballot for yeah. an, an electoral reform uh, referendum sitting I have on one my too nightstand. For the <laughs> um, 
Who would have thought that would have been the most exciting thing in my month of November, <laughs> Chloe? Like, a couple of years ago, if you're like, hey, electoral reform ballots are the most precious piece of physical communication that you're going to acquire this season. What? Anyway, yeah, voting's cool. Please do it. Uh, yeah, we just did a municipal election. Um, also, that was middling success. I don't know. There's a lot of feelings and a lot of hits and a lot of misses, but it wasn't awful. Yeah, I would say it's middling. I'm really embracing not awful as such a victory compared to all of the awful. Stacey Abrams for um, Georgia. Not awful. Like, she came within a point and is possibly still in recount of yeah. Republican governorship in Georgia? Yeah. And then the same with the Beto O'Rourke and uh, Ted Cruz thing. Like, Ted Cruz, I mean, it was his to lose. He's best known for being memetically called the serial killer, or the Zodiac killer? Yeah. That's really his claim to fame with young people. And yet, this was, this was still a Republican Senate seat in Texas to lose, despite extraordinary amounts of voter suppression and gerrymandering. He won, though. Yeah, but he won by, like, a point. Oh. And that's unheard of in Texas. Anything short of a 10-point loss is, like, what the heck happened. Interesting. So those are really enormous successes that probably don't feel like successes to the vast majority of people uh, immediately affected or on the ground. In the really gross, like, grinding gears of electoral, like, logistics, I'm, I'm starting to recognize how huge that is. Yeah. Um, it's weird, electoral politics. It's weird. But it's been on my mind. So that's why I, you know, introduced this subject to our television critical theory podcast. Yeah. That's why I decided to add a little... It's important because (laughs) Riverdale has always been sort of a wonky barometer for what's happening. Yeah. And, like, emphasis on the wonky. Like, I'm not sure that, like... Tony Topaz, like, marching up to a gazebo and talking about her indigenous <laughs> heritage, only to be silenced by Hiram Lodge and then the subject never broached again, is exactly what I would call, like, a litmus te- an accurate litmus test of the current atmosphere. But, <coughs> inroads were made, I suppose. But all this to say, I think the midterm elections are topical for this podcast. Yes. And our brains bubbling our brains. over. Um, something else we wanted to touch on is we received our first uh, critical feedback from one of our listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in regards to... Uh, I'm trying to think of a good way to encapsulate this. Ryan, would you help me out? Sure. Um, my reading was um, uh, regarding the issue of uh, objectification and sexualization in, in critique. Um sort of how uh, we've let ourselves get a little thirstier this uh, last couple of episodes, perhaps, uh, in our responses. And uh, that was my read, anyway, and yeah. my self-analysis on it. Uh, and that uh, sort of sexualized a space in a way that was uncomfortable for some listeners. Um, does that feel accurate? Yeah, I think specifically the fact that we're white and... Um we're white queers i think that Mm. this listener took exception to and like with good reason white queers objectifying people yeah we fit into a a pattern uh 100 and it's something that i want to be conscious of um and not to perpetuate while also um keeping up the sex positive theme and discussion and and tone and uh, and values that we've um, really committed to with the podcast. Um, I think that's uh, an important check-in point for us uh, on walking that line. Um, for me, it really uh, this feedback really catalyzed <laughs> some good um, good reflection on um, what the intentional tone we as hosts choose to set for this podcast. Um, I think we really put a lot of work in last season to setting this you know, irreverent and reaction-based, reaction but really um, critical thought, feminist view, um, serious critique of the show. Um, and that 
necessarily included a lot of critique of the the, the gays and, and objectification and sexualization in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting for me, uh, thinking about my own reactions this season, um, the, the really high genre play of this season has removed a lot of the sort of... Um, the critiques that I felt in the past of what the show was doing. Um, and it's the enti- show being Riverdale. Not yeah. Yeah. yeah show. The show the Riverdale, the Riverdale show, the one we discuss. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think what they've done this season has sort of led me as a viewer to react differently. <sighs> um, I don't feel like I'm watching a show about a bunch of high schoolers most of the time anymore. Yeah. Um, and that was something I was very, cognizant and critical of in the first seasons in depictions of you know the 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 grundy uh debacle for example um so it's got me really thinking uh critically and ongoingly about um what the show is doing around uh objectification uh what the show and how i'm reacting to it and Mm -hmm. then what we intentionally want to do in our podcast yeah um for me it also raised some interesting like some interesting intersections like they're the truth of white queers objectifying um queers of color is mm-hmm. is a profound truth and it's a messy one and one that like it's a legacy in the queer community that we are constantly having to navigate mm-hmm. and speak out against i, I think um, i think it's notable that um specifically uh kj has been uh, kj Apa and the actor playing reggie mantle have been some of the beefcakes of this episode, which is has read as great to me. But these are these are racialized bodies and and individuals, and the yeah. fact that they're in that gaze and not other white characters is something I want to note. Yeah, um, KJ App is an interesting case um, because I imagine he presents to most viewers as white, mm-hmm. so. His intersection is interesting as a an indigenous half indigenous man, mm-hmm. um, Samoan, I believe. I bl- I think yes. so. Yes. Um, and uh, and his intersection with passing whiteness, I mean, which isn't for me to comment on. Like that's like if that's something KJ Apa wants to talk about about himself, I'm just gonna let him do that. Yeah, and that's <laughs> yeah. We acknowledge that's outside of our yeah uh, our perspective. Yeah. So, but it's an, an intersection to be aware of in any case. Yeah, one um, for us to to keep in mind, yeah, if but, not give our comment. Exactly. On. Um, and then um, but another interesting intersection is, is the feedback was directed at the last episode, mm-hmm. where two people, myself and Kay, who were assigned female at birth, and are femmes. Um, are commenting on male bodies and mm-hmm. the threat of two uh, women asterisks mm-hmm. um, commenting on a man's body is not real. There is no threat. Um, when men comment on female bodies, that's where the threat is. The threat doesn't go in the other direction, generally. Speaking in general terms. Mm-hmm. So... Um, uh, um, I do feel that two femmes expressing interest in a male body is something to uh, not taboo. Mm-hmm. That said, uh, white women have long oversexualized the bodies of men of color. Mm-hmm. And there's another power dynamic there as well. Yeah. There's a lot. It's a mess. It's a big old intersectional <laughs> mess, yeah. um, but it's one we're thinking of and paying, trying to pay attention to. Exactly. So um, this is a good moment to say, listeners in general, if you have feedback about how we are um, talking about handling or not noticing um, issues of sensitivity and, and intersection, um, we really appreciate those conversations. Um, yeah. Whenever and however you feel comfortable bringing them to us. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, I had a fun chat today um, with um, a friend. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this thing about checking each other, white people checking each other. Mm. And I would love it if being able to tell an- a white person, being able to tell another white person that they're racist is a, like, hey, you have something in your eye. Yeah. You have something yeah. in your teeth. It's a thing to practice and normalize yeah. and not practice not getting defensive about or practice checking exactly. your defenses, defensism. 
those impulses. I agree. All this to say, if you send us feedback, Ryan and I go, oh, there's something in our teeth. And then we're going to talk about it because yeah. we like to talk. That is the goal. Yeah. Sound good to you, Ryan? Sounds good to me, Chloe. What else we got in our docket? Oh, okay. So my cousin texted me yeah. Um, a few, I guess about a week ago, a little over a week ago. Mm. And she, so she um, is a longtime D&D player. She <laughs> loves D&D. Yes. I think she's been both a dungeon master and a player i would be heartily surprised if she hasn't been a dungeon master as well as a player Mm -hmm. and she's she's 40 and so she's well not quite right but so she's (laughs) from (laughs) a different generation of (laughs) D &D or yeah but she's been playing i don't know how old the game is but the oh there's history chloe but is it like the 80s yeah so she so she would have been like playing it almost from its inception yeah not yeah, if quite. she's in her forties and what if she was playing from her teens? Yes. Yeah, she would have been, I guess, I one of the like early nineties, early spread, probably like second edition era. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she cool, cool, really cool. she cool. really, really, really takes exception to <laughs> the way that D D is presented on this show. Yeah. She recently had to um uh like she she and her daughter play Magic the Gathering mm-hmm. and they wanted to play it as part of a club thing at school. I don't know the details exactly, mm-hmm. but they had to like send home permission forms mm. because Magic the Gathering is vaguely threatening in a way that like a board game isn't. Right. And she doesn't to clarify like she's like she's a mom in like mm-hmm. the suburbs in Vancouver. Like it's not like she lives in a a, a community that is very conservative. Mm-hmm. Or, or mistrusting of, you know, like, Harry Potter and D&D and, like, fantasy literature. You know what I'm saying? So, um, all this to say is that she was, like, the the way that D&D is talked about fearfully in this show is, mm-hmm. like, a problem that D&D dealt with, like, the D&D community dealt with, and that she thinks is, like, really not appropriate. Oh, boy, oh, boy, <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. I've got... A little bitty dissertation on like history of of moral panic around fandom cultures and like history of D and D just percolating and I it's probably more than I should get into in this preamble to a Riverdale podcast but yes I love that that perspective and I I think that's valid and fascinating and important um, and from someone who has probably experienced these sort of moral shaming firsthand around early D and D. Yeah, Which, I, I think so. She didn't say that specifically, but that mm, wouldn't surprise me. Presumably generationally. Also, I'm... hi, Courtney. I hope you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> As we dissect your lived experience. Yes. Thank you. Um, oh, yes, yes, yes. That's, I'm, uh, I'm bemused. So as a as a as a modern player who really started shortly before fifth edition, you know hardcore like I I've been playing since I was a teenager this type of art role playing game. Yeah. But D and D specifically, <coughs> um, about ten years. Um, my game is a spin off of a universe set in an early second edition game. So roughly, roughly a generation ago, the world of my game. Um, was played for a few de- for a decade or so, um, and now the little brother of the original game master runs the game, set on a moon, in one of these original second edition worlds from what? around twenty five years Who ago. What are you talking about? Uh, the game I play with Xander and Sarah. Who's the little brother? Uh, the, Xander, our our DM. He sets his world in. Uh, it's it's totally unconnected. But it's off on a moon. Or his his older brother. Xander is a little brother. So this like generation removed D and D player has this whole other world with a decade of lineage and storytelling that um Wait, Xander's the little brother. Yes, I've I've confused everyone (laughs) by now, I'm sure. Basically my game is a spin off from a twenty year twenty five year old game. That's really delightful. but then there was a whole generation of D&D before that. The the early, like, Gary Gygax, uh, the guy who wrote the book, the guy who founded the original rules, the original Advanced Dungeons and Dragons set was much more this word-of-mouth, like, club sensation before it was ever a, a, a codified, published um, national sensation. Um, 
I'm not even sure where I was going with this. I'm just like thrilled to dig into this history and commentary. Um, but yeah, for me so, as a well, all I was gonna mm-hmm. say is that like I don't. I've played one role playing game, and you bore witness to a Riverdale game. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I don't have a lot of experience with D and did get Courtney's permission to like name her and mm-hmm. relate mm-hmm. the text, mm-hmm. not verbatim, but paraphrasing. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, it's I was fun. It would like it was fun for me to bring this to you because I knew you'd have a lot more lived experience <laughs> of this than me. So yeah, like I I I got to join the game shortly before uh, I say cultishly, um, <laughs> um, shortly before the whole like nostalgia media revolution, fifth edition that really made the game almost cool now. Um, it is kind of hip in yeah, a weird it's, way. It's very like a soft Listen to evolution me, I got, I got of, of it's m- sort of hip, you know. But like the Marvel, <laughs> somewhere between the Marvel film media and the vinyl record player at Urban Outfitters genre, like somewhere between those two fashions, I think D and D floats. Um, on top of this much older sort of heritage and tradition of super nerddom of um, very crunchy old role playing storytellers, hmm. um, yeah, magic and magic is this whole adjunct world to that. Um, I I kind of want to flag um, for suburban Vancouver. One reason that a school might be sending home forms uh, about Magic the Gathering as an activity is the fact that it's a very like purchase-driven, purchase-based collectible uh, Ah, deck-building game. That's a good point. And, like, I remember as a a kid in high school... But no one sends home permission slips for Pokemon cards. Well, I mean, we did in high school. Or in in elementary school. Our our Pokemon card um, marketplace, our black market marketplace on the playground was shut down because kids started stealing money and parents raised complaints leading to Pokemon being banned from my school hmm. for grades five and six duration. Wow. Yeah. So, like, I see precedent of this as an old Pokemon card trading shark from the playground. Wow. This all this all fits to me. That might... I, I don't know this school or this, this case. It might be moral panic, but um, I, I want to flag that for consideration as a, a, another aspect of that. I don't know um, that. I don't game. know that it's like moral panic. I forget what school that that um, mm-hmm. my cousin's daughter goes to, but um, yeah. I think it's more just knowing that some parents. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Knowing that some parents are going to be sensitive. Yeah. I think that's it, and it, that's a good point about the purchasing hmm. aspect of it. Um, not every parent wants to sign their kid up for having to spending more money, mm-hmm. and having to keep spending money on their kid. Blech. Yeah, that particular addictive sort of game. It's yeah. a yeah, it's a money sink of a game. I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, like I've, I've I've dabbled with magic as a game in the like penny card bin because I have a few uh, really competitive friends, but. Yeah. I played it once or twice with an ex-boyfriend of mine. It didn't hold my attention in the same way that um, other deck-building games I've played yeah. have. Well, we've played games like Dominion where you've got a yeah. set set that you are always pulling from. Whereas the, the new new team every season aspect, I think, is a big part of the, the fun and community, is this ever-changing strategy. In magic, you mean? Yeah, in magic. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay, now that we've beaten that horse dead, and by beating that horse dead, I mean barely scratch the surface, we should probably move on to this bizarre episode. Oh my gosh, what did we watch? What what happened? I don't know. We need to watch it again so that I know what happened. (laughs) Okay, shall we just jump in and react? (laughs) I guess that's our whole that's our whole model, isn't it? (laughs) Before you die, dear coughing friend. I'm not dying. I mean, I am, but only in the overall sense. Yeah, slowly. Getting real okay. on Riverdale, gang. By the way, we're Ryan and Chloe. Welcome to the critical <laughs> watch-along commentary podcast about Riverdale and also everything. If you're new, it's always like this. Yep. Just just so you know what you're getting into. Hmm. Computer. Computer. There. Okay. We did it. Ready to go. Wanna, wanna badoo me in, Chloe? 
I want you to Badoom and I'll do um Warner the Brothers. The Hummy Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Badoom. Bah. Bow, 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 bow. We're getting so good at that. Seriously, on Riverdale. Ah, oh, yes. All the stuff we don't actually touch on but need to know and think about because this is actually what this entire episode's pr- prologue to? This... Yeah, I don't know. There's our friend Nikolai again. Yeah. I mean, friend. I've, like, met him twice. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan knows him a little bit. Professional acquaintance. Yeah. Let's, let's be real. Professional acquaintance. Um, I once ran the door with him. I think it weighed better. He was awfully pleasant. Oh, yes, you did. You did volunteer at the same show that I was producing that one time. Yes. Griffins and gargoyles. I love... I I wonder what everyone who does this is thinking. Who plays this game? No. This Dungeons who, and Dragons who, game? Who's on this show? Oh, yes. Yes, also valid. That's a real question. A lot. Yes. Uh, um, but like about what? About this absurd arc? About this yeah, absurd like episode? What, like, did they get the sides and go like, "What is happening?" I mean, the n- game was an escape for a ni- from our nightmarish reality. Okay, mm-hmm. so finally there is an acknowledgement that there is trauma <laughs> for youth in Riverdale. Thanks, yep. Jughead. It took a while. It, and part of me was really just like. Yeah, yeah, it's been a hellish couple of years. We're all in that. We all need some escapism. Oh, they mean the serial killers and riots. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. So the mayor just, like, going classroom to classroom, I guess, giving a very special message to these kids? Yeah, you know it's a really small town when the mayor shows up to ban something. <laughs> um, I mean, at least the at least the she president. No, she... not the president. The, um, the, the principal blah, 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 blah. the principal banned our pokemon cards yeah i mean i um, wouldn't put it past the president to try to ban pokemon cards but <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're made by foreigners so a 24-hour crisis hotline run by a high schooler slightly after school sometimes what yeah also where's tony agreed this is a tonyless okay, episode so- what I'm hoping is the reason that there is less Tony is mm-hmm. because she has some sort of great movie deal. Maybe. I could roll with that. I hope that's what She needs some more lines. I hope that for you, Vanessa Morgan. Some more plot. I hope that for you. We could Google this stuff. We should 20 Google under this stuff 20. sometimes. <laughs> so I love Veronica's obsession <laughs> suddenly with being like one of the top 20 under 20. I'm really into that. She is in full I business here mode. for that narrative. Business Veronica, I, I, I like. Here's Nikolai's voice, I think. I agree, yes. This is this is a mortician dude who has no problem maintaining a sketchy long-term business relationship with a high schooler. Yeah. Just, that's that's legit. That just fits his creepy mortician persona guy, I guess. One of my favorite lines in this episode is coming up. Yes. Also, I think I just saw a boom mic. Oh, no, I didn't. Hmm? Never mind, I didn't. So here's the sort of, I'm right in the middle of my affirmations right now. Um, uh, oh man, I love Lily Reinhardt. She's so great. Um, this is such a good framing scene. It is a really good framing scene. So this is the beginning of the plot. Mm-hmm. Here is this uh, death from before with blue lips that Alice might know something about. Maybe a murder. This is actually very impressive pacing, I think, this episode. Um, like, we're we're not four minutes in, and we've already sort of framed, here's where we are this season, here's where our characters are right now, and now here's, here's the flashback. Like, yeah. this does not feel like in any way a flashback or, or um, exposition episode. But it absolutely achieves that, except it does it in such a ridiculous way. Everything about this right now, right here on yes. the screen right now. By the way, Lily Reinhardt totally captures um, uh, Madchen Amick's energy. <laughs> I'm really impressed. She really does. Several times over. the um, One huge problem. She goes so big in a way that is so not Betty Cooper. Like uncontrolled big openness yeah uh yeah 
Um, I also have to acknowledge Glee flashbacks because um, Camila Mendez is dressed very Rachel Berry to the blonde Quinn Fabray um, no season one dynamic. Are, Just cool. I, I know it's not it's not even for you, Chloe. It's not even for me. I just By can't the way, not. See, young Sierra. <laughs> Oh, what's her maiden name? Uh, Samuels. Samuels, Sarah, yes. Sierra Samuels. Ashley Murray. Um, Ashley Murray writing End Apartheid in lipstick on a mirror. I'm yes. here for it. This is who here. Sierra is, and I love it. Um, I don't know how I feel about this characterization of Penelope. I like the plot. They give her a lot. It's good and creepy. Whole, yeah, holy gee, Penelope's backstory is messed up this episode. Um... It's it's the one thing that's, like, world-building that feels as absurd as the rest of this world. But I guess that's appropriate for a Blossom. And by the rest of this world, I mean this weird Breakfast Club, Midnight Club yeah. flashback world. I'm so into these... These I love I love Lily Reinhardt's look there! This, like, yeah. big grin, like, yeah, we're gonna fight! Oh, they were, like, roommates, <laughs> right? Because I, I feel like this must have been so much fun... Oh yeah, they they are specifically buds. in that vein. Like so, the other person who captures like down to mannerisms, <laughs> um, their their uh, TV show parent mm-hmm. is um, Cole. Th- Cole and FP Skeet. FP like he Skeet. He he picks up. He does a lot of like Skeet Ulrich's like mannerisms really well. Yeah, yeah, like. I, I, I kept seeing KJ, I will say. Like, I did not not see Archie KJ. Um, right. But I see what he was doing as Fred. Um, but, like, kudos to how Cole and Lily did it. Yeah. Like, they hit the right caricature points. Yeah. I don't think Fred and Hermione have those caricature beats the same way that, that FP and Alice do. Like, yes. they're such huge, explosive characters. Yeah. yeah. I also feel like Hermione and uh, Penelope and I love this 80s Riverdale thing. That's yeah. so great. Um, <laughs> Hermione, Penelope. Early 90s. And early 90s. Thank you. Um, We're that old. <laughs> what am I trying to say? Hermione, Penelope and Sierra. Yes. Um, are like very different people than who they grow up into. Yes. And whereas we've seen, we've seen a flat, like mm-hmm. we've seen that we see, we saw that time where Alice went to the white worm and like was her old self or whatever. Yeah. And <coughs> um, This is F-E. something new in those three. This is a lot of new with Sierra, especially. Yeah. But, um, Yeah. We we don't like it was a throwaway reference to the whole Fred heads Fred Andrews playing music thing, yeah, and that's seeded into this whole weird hyper genre world. Let's check in about genre. Like, how many genres are yeah. we dabbling I don't even in? Know what genre this is? I, I literally don't count. But it's it's clearly Breakfast Club, but also it's like psychological horror Breakfast Club slash. What? Yeah. With this, like, even the even the cutting back and forth between the framing conversation between Alice and Betty feels weirdly, like, early 90s. I, I can't place it. I can't peg it to a device. But there's just so much woven in. This yeah. is, like, the most Ashley Murray has done all season as well. And I'm delighted by her. Yes. Every we moment she's Ashley given Murray. on screen. Um, she's been her mom more than she's been Josie this season. Yeah. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about that. Um, <coughs> I was going to say something and it's gone. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That's okay. No idea. This music is oh, absurd. It's very 80s-tastic. It, it sets a beautiful time and place. Yeah. Oh, man, look at those desks. I think I sat in desks like that at one point. Yeah. Yep. I definitely did. And like they felt old Dude, then, can you but bite me. <laughs> <laughs> also, I like baby Casey caught Tom. What? I'm, I'm so like I have so firmly assigned homosexuality to Casey Cott, <laughs> even though he's straight in real life. Yep. It's like bad and wrong watching him kiss a woman. <laughs> it's a little weird. Um, yeah. Also, everybody ends up with their high school sweetheart. Everybody, no matter what, that's clearly end game. 
Which is well, part of the genre play. Well, they sort of, like, divert along the way. Yeah. But you the know? fact that them being high school sweethearts adds narrative punch <laughs> nice and word. weight and history. Yeah. And that's the obvious history to add for them. It's super trope, but I like I forgive it for its genreness, if not its straightness. See, that was a very like Skeet Ulrich thing he just did, tapping on the desk like that. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Okay, I know the eighties were racist, but were they that racist? Yeah. I don't know. Oh gee, Chloe Chloe, oh, you grew up in West West End, Vancouver. West side, thank West, you. Sh- nah. It's pretty snooty. Yeah. And he's a self-starter. Hiram Lodge, who is ominously lurking around the edge of this episode as well, with the only, like, the only guest star character, which gives me interesting pause as well. Yeah. Not only because there's just no parallel young person, but we just don't, we didn't bother to see any other character who didn't have a young a teenage parallel to play them except Hiram this episode. Yeah. And he is so closely tied to plot, 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 plot. Could even see myself running for mayor one day. Nightmare (laughs) job. Cute. Um, I like the little, um, full circle of Hermione's mom cleaning bathrooms at the five seasons. And now, she lives um, there. She has a permanent suite there. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Literally where she lives. Hmm. We don't see Molly Ringwald's character. You're right. Which, I guess, well, I mean, also, we've actually seen her as a teenager, so it would have to be a very good lookalike. <laughs> Fair. I mean, we've seen, we've seen, seen Skeet Ulrich and, um, uh, F- and Fred, um, that's what we're getting at, right? Sorry, what? That they're super famous as teenagers. Who? But Molly Wingrald is like... Oh, yeah, they are. Oh, that's true. She is the famousest. She is famousest the famousest. Of the famous teenagers, arguably. Yeah. She's kind of the, the, the signature famous teenager from that period. Ah. <sighs> that dark... Yeah. Old Jones. The first Jones family exposition. It's going to be Jughead if he survives griffins and gargoyles. <laughs> this itself is is a, a bit of a layered down the wormhole hyperbole. Because, like, how hyperbolically bad The white wormhole? Is his... Sorry. <laughs> sure. So get ready for this messed up backstory. What is Penelope's existence? Yeah. So I thought... I sort of, like, for a hot second, I was like, oh, I don't like that there's not incest. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, no, there's still incest. Yep. You know? Yep. It's, it mean, may not be blood, endorse, but it's I there. I do not endorse incest. Let me go on the record as saying. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> like, in this story as it was framed, being framed and set up and yeah. told. And, I mean... Also, this like, whole story. Yeah, like, can we just talk about all the unresolved trauma that Penelope has sending her daughter to the Quis- Sisters of Quiet Mercy? Right, which apparently Ooh. for her was the safe place because it's before she got in with the creepy grooming people. Yeah. Like, wow. Layers. Yeah. Um, This opens many questions for where Penelope's character is going to go in the show. Because, like, that's such a cartoonish backstory, too. It's so absurd. Second fight. Second fight. Like, I love that 80s, like, vest that <laughs> Madeline Petch is wearing in other, in other news. Yes. Madeline Petch, she's another one who, like, I'm only seeing Cheryl playing her mom here. Yeah. Right? Like, but that's just the character beats. Although... In this case, I think Madeline Pesh is usually more caricature than Penelope is. Yeah. Like, she could do with being more understated, even. She's eating sushi like what's-her-name-is in Breakfast Club. Ryan's never seen Breakfast I've never Club. seen it. I'm an uncultured swine. I didn't watch a lot of that 
very particular genre growing up, actually. That's actually the only one of that genre I've seen. Oh, I watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's like the You haven't seen Heathers? Oh, I've seen Heathers, but that's its own genre. Clueless? Clueless is later. I feel like this this show is pretty clueless. No, kind of like kind of like Breakfast like, Club to Clueless. I sort of class that as Clueless isn't dark though. Yeah, fair, fair. Heather's is dark. Yeah, but Clueless isn't dark because it's basically just Emma. Yeah. Jane Austen. Oh, you right? know what? I'm getting Heather's and the Craft mixed up. I've seen part oh, of Heather's. But Heather's is dark. Yes, I've seen part of the film Heather's, and I've seen a wonderful musical adaptation of Heather's that mm, yeah, was yeah. here in Vancouver. Christine was in it. Yes, I remember. I didn't. I missed it, but I remember. Yeah. Uh, it was solid. It was a really good production. Yeah. Our love is God. Anyway, <laughs> here's the game. All right. It looks like a pizza box. So many trope, trope beats just coming together in this weird, intense, like, really you fast know, film. Sorry, you know why I don't buy... Oh, we don't. I love Lily. This is a great role for really Lily. Lily Runner. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Um, I realize why I don't 100% buy KJ Appa as Fred. No mm-hmm. scruff. That's what's missing. Mm. If he had scruff, I'd be a hundred percent there. And it's funny because he always has scruff in interviews. Like, yeah, the the kid doesn't shave. <laughs> they just didn't scruff him up. Yeah. To be fair, he's what like twenty two, twenty three, playing a high schooler. Like that's a struggle at, for everybody, and scruff pops that illusion real good. Yeah. Like that's that's one of the <laughs> one of the core things with playing young that I've seen before. That is like control control the the beard yeah well also he's like fred's like this clean cut young guy who takes care of his dad i guess you're not allowed to put scruff on them yeah i guess it would be off off form fp could get away with some scruff but whether or not cole can provide that who knows cole probably knows cole probably knows it says lover on his cast huh Okay, so as we're watching this again, um, I'm finding I I'm so much more interested by the overstory of this than I am by this individual episode. This is such a weird episode. Yeah, um, it reminds me a little of the plot fixing episodes, like mm. the enemas, mm. you know, like the the Thanksgiving episode. Yep. Um, and it's it's a spectacular experiment. Like I love what they're doing. It's it's this strange, <laughs> strange amalgamation. Um, but they're telling a really weird story and ha- I think having a lot of fun with it. Um, but I don't think this is going to be an episode I come back and watch the same way that I have watched the um, the the creepy pseudo-Halloween episode a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, this moves the plot along really well, but... To me, this is literally the the, the, the flashback setup story for the, the thriller film because the stakes are so much lower here. Even the big reveals that we get to mm-hmm. are preamble stakes for where the story is right now. Yes. And I guess this, this single episode stands apart so brilliantly because it's such a weird play a weird thing that, um, yeah, it, it feels even further separated in the arc of this season. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I buy that. I see that. It's reaction watching through again, realizing I'm not actually interested in this scene we're in right now um, because I just watched it for one. But what is this scene? It, it's a sequence of... Um, Gathered so, references and mimetic, uh, heavier than usual, even yeah. genre. Sorry, I'm I'm gonna have to pause R- you because I'm distracted. Yeah, but what? <coughs> oh, never mind. The Midsummer Night's Dream. This. No, doesn't matter. Actually, I was like, oh, Sierra mentioned the Gargoyle King. Oh. And I didn't know that any of the other characters mentioned him, but it doesn't matter. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair sleuthing. It is this beautiful. How did it get in the vending machine? One doesn't question a blossom. They do what they do. One doesn't question a blossom. Also, like, FP is just so thirsty. So thirsty. And of course she knows. (laughs) 
Yeah. Oh, and he does this. That was such a skeet Ulrich thing to do. <laughs> oh, man. He's like studied him so closely. It's really fun. I mean, I think it speaks to the type of chemistry that those two actors have as well. Yeah, it's that true. They, the way they play off of each other, maybe. Yeah. Hmm. Which, Aw, look at Fred being so nice. Arguably, I think you could also say about Lily and Smadgen, their scenes have a certain fire. Hmm. It's interesting. I will never be pregnant as a teenager when time moves slowly. And I've been thinking hmm. how if I'm ever pregnant, nine months is just going to go like so fast. But hmm. I wonder if when you're pregnant as a teenager, it just feels endless. Yeah, I would you imagine. Know? Everything feels endless back then felt yeah i can yeah nine months is a long time in high school yeah anyway Ugh, nine months isn't very long anymore ah age no. speaking yes the show about all the old characters when they were young once and all the death and chaos that happened around them woo jumanji that's the the word that i lost oh earlier yeah. um yeah it's this weird breakfast club meets Jumanji thing. But not either of them at all. Just referencing them. Such a weird episode. Yeah, it is weird. It does. Jumanji. That's a good... Yes, I also thought of that. Mm-hmm. But also not, because they don't quite go there. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm not sold yet, 100%, that it is actually supernatural goings-ons, as much as those seeds are in play. And as much as I've been over in Greendale with Sabrina a lot with super magical. Was she eating? She eating chocolate? It looked, I just, I assumed a brownie because it feels like a thing to do when with that particular face of childish dismay that your mother used to date Archie's dad. Well, it wasn't even a used to date. I think they kissed once and maybe boned, but... They had that moment, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ugh, they really dress Ashley Murray so beautiful. It's not Mick Murray, right? It's Murray. I think it's just Murray, yes. Um, So wonderful, so well in this episode. She really suits the late 80s, early 90s fashions. I'm really... this, This score feels even more poppy than usual, and it's, There's the jacket hat too. Yeah, now we're entering another fresh, new, strange, messy aesthetic. Yeah. As they raid the drama class and become the cosplay kids. Yeah, and these like knives and swords that look like sort of real. <laughs> yep, things get kind of hardcore weird. And like I say, this as someone who has like a sword. Just over there on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> that you, like, tried to loan to me to take to work on Halloween. It didn't occur to me that it, the actual weapons would be an issue. But, like, my house is that drama stock room that they were just in. So, I come by that naturally. Oh, man. I forget the actor's name. Who plays Reggie, but he's just everything in this scene. Yes. <laughs> he makes so much use of... All of the physical comedy opportunities he yes. is given. But, like, how many times did they have to film this without laughing before they could do it without laughing is my question. <laughs> I know everyone on the show is a pro, but, like, let's be real. <sighs> By the way, a friend of a friend of mine uh, mm-hmm. is a crew member on the show. Oh, yeah. And apparently it's, like, just the nicest, cleanest, most wholesome set. Oh, Everyone is just good. having a nice time and no one is a creep. <laughs> Oh, good. I'm so glad. Apparently, what's his name? He plays Fred. I've just... Luke Perry. Yep. Um, he has... He's just, like, remembers everyone on the crew's names and always says hi. One of those just, people. Like, it's just nice. That... There is that, one good yeah. white man afoot in Hollywood. <laughs> that jives nicely with what I've heard, and I'm so glad to hear it always. Yes. No drama is needed on sets. The show does it plenty. So the show does it plenty as Hiram brings the drugs again. Yes. And last time, I mean, last time in the future, it was Pixie Sticks. And now it's like... Pop Rocks. Pop Rocks. (laughs) (laughs) All of his candy themed drugs. Yeah. 
there's so much attention drawn to what are these drugs we're taking, and yeah. Hiram mysteriously just had them. Yeah. And no one's... I think Hiram's the Gargoyle King. Yeah, I'm here for Hiram being the Gargoyle King. I see it. I mean, we've established that he is cool with the manipulation and murder of teenagers. That was his whole yeah, modus true. operandi last season, several times over, oh, with please. Reggie, with Archie, with Jughead. And Toxic Dads. Mm-hmm. Hashtag. And the game he's playing with Veronica right now. Yeah. Okay, and then there's this weird musical interlude. Yeah. Where they try something new, and um, uh, it's nice that they did this once. Yes. <laughs> it's a bit of an 80s something. I mean, I'm trying really hard <laughs> to not stretch, um, but this feels like it could be a very distant, like, Miami Connection 80s called really bad film um, genre thing. Like, there's a lot of scenes in these Watch It because it's so awful. 80s and 90s films of like here's just a, a band playing a whole song for the entire length of the song and we're just gonna watch them and this song reminds me so much of one of the awful awful songs in Miami Connection which is a pinnacle of bad 80s like drug running ninja fighting films oh. like it's it's you know in Rocky Horror there are shout outs callbacks to the film this is a show that just spontaneously drew that from the audience when I saw it at the Cinematheque. Oh, wow. Just, like, people shouting criticisms for the sake of the other people in the room suffering together. Oh, that wow. kind of bad. That Star Wars Christmas special bad, but taken to another level. Wow. That was a little tangent to get me through this musical scene again, because also, what? <laughs> also, like, Reggie Hermione makeout. Everyone Not kissing Reggie, everyone. Whatever... Reggie Mandel's dad's name is. Yes. <laughs> Comes by his attitude, honestly. Reggie does. Yes. <laughs> and then things get creepy with hot lighting. Yep, pops lighting. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, not a lot of neon when these folks were at pops. Did we get there yet? Or is that later? No, that's later. Okay. Lit for your fade. Yeah. This creepiness. Yeah. A lot of very well done pewter chalices that seem to be consistently available in Riverdale. Like, you'd think someone would have investigated the hot topic by now? <laughs> like, we know where these kids are getting these pewter chalices. There's only one place to get a pewter chalice in a suburban town. <sighs> hot topic? Is that what you just said? Yeah, well, in Canada, no. it was always Millennium at the malls, I found. I didn't inhabit a lot of malls. Hmm. See, my urban life as a child was so defined by malls because you went to the city and you went to a mall. Interesting. Because that's where all the shopping was unless you wanted to go to the Walmart. Yeah, I didn't go into a mall really. I mean, I would go into malls with my mom sometimes, but... Huh. I had, like, school trips when I was 16 to West Edmonton Mall. Like, while doing other things, right? I know, but there's more at West Edmonton Mall than just mall. True. It's a very special mall. And here's the Gargoyle King. Gargoyle. Isn't Goblin? Goblins and Gargoyles? The, the Gargoyle King. It's Griffins and Gargoyles. Yeah, bleh, bleh. <coughs> Thank you. <coughs> and then the sacrifice adult. <laughs> and doesn't for some reason hear Alice panting in terror. And this dude just decides, I'm going to go into the bathroom at midnight and take a chug. So... Yeah, the girl's bathroom, too. I don't have the most sympathy for him, because, dude, you put yourself in this situation. <laughs> you didn't have to drink the weird Peter Chalice in the middle of the night principle. Well, unless he was just overcome with a vision of the Gargoyle King. Yes, yes. If this Gargoyle King is, in fact, psychic and, par- and paranormal. Man, not great stuff happens to two out of three principles on shows that I've seen Roberto Wright. <laughs> Fair point. Mr. Weatherby seems to be okay. Yes. But we like him, kind we do, of. We do like him. He doesn't do much, but we like him. Yeah. He's generally mostly fine, except when he's functioning as a extension of the police state, as he occasionally does. Yes. Also, there is a hickey on Hermione's neck. Hey, there is. 
It's. I bet it's a mantle senior hickey. Huh. Ah, uh, yes. And then, see, that's the whole thing. It's like, oh, Archie, you know, Fred had a moral <laughs> crisis and, <laughs> like, the stakes are weird. The stakes are, the stakes live in high school here in a way that they haven't in this show this season. Yeah. Because, like, stakes like, oh my god, someone's dad died because we were out, par- while we were out partying. That doesn't feel punchy this season, but it's the punch of this episode. And then we have Pops stripped of its neon. Was a little neon but not a lot yeah even but like even for pops in the day it feels pretty flat and dull here yeah that might just be the kind of slightly reddish ness and heavy shadows they've just thrown over everyone in the flashback but oh i'm so guilty i was so high uh i mean like that happens in this life but like yeah <laughs> handle it maturely please for now yeah and they all took their pathos forward into their lives and <laughs> bubbled for 20-some years. I do like um, how this show... Hmm? Or this episode... Oh, excuse me. Um, makes reference to, like, how one huge event when you're young changes the course of the rest of your life. Hmm. Whether that's a relationship or a night out with your friends or sometimes when you're a teenager, a big thing happens and then your life is really different afterwards. Hmm. Right. And even though this is a very, like, television kind of lukewarm Mm -hmm. version of that truth, I still like that that happens. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And this episode is a contained bubble of that. I like a really cool example and model. Ugh. Yeah, that corpse in the wall thing. That place where Jughead slept for a while mm-hmm. is where the corpse was. Ugh. With scratchy, horrible things in the door. And blue lips. Ruh-roh. And. Yep. Now we see where the whole moral panic of the adults of the last few episodes has been yeah now i will say the reaction of the adults has been much more conspiracy i know what you did last summer than feels perfectly resonant to me for this episode like the stakes of this episode feel a touch lower than what the adults have been playing and projecting to me but um I recognize a lot of that is we're just in building tension in this in this season arc, mm. right? Like, that's partially just how I'm receiving these scenes in sequence, I think. But um, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm distracted by excellent, the show. excellent speech. The group takedown. I'm not bored. I'm sorry. I'm just very tired. Day jobs. Oh, yeah. Day jobs. Start yawn circles. I don't think it's did you I think did you I yawn, Riverdale gang? I bet you did now, right? Now that I pointed it out. I bet Hiram's <laughs> the gargoyle king. I would believe Hiram being the gargoyle king. He was the jerk of last time, and he seems to be the jerk this time. Um, what I want is the Sabrina crossover where Sabrina shows up because she hears there's something devilish happening in Riverdale. And then she's like, oh, it's just a man being evil. Okay, here you go. <laughs> bye. You know, if Sabrina could give us some visual, some like some viewer only limited perspective clues to see what's going on with this cult. Yeah, that could be that could be nice. I'm here for it. I want it. I'm not sure if they're really cool with crossover crossovering a world that has Satan as a character. I don't know if the CW would do that, but I hope they will. Yeah, but also, like, I don't know. I just want it. I agree. I, I too. Boom, ba doom more music. Boom, I think really that, like, 80s, 90s. Well. Because there's definitely, cool. like, Saved by the Belliness to that Riverdale... See, was that 80s? What is time? I was a baby then. I was a baby in the last year of the 80s for 
eight months. Yeah, I don't really remember the 80s. <laughs> the pearls. The pearls. The pearls are the symbol here. And here we are with a Hiram character. Like, just... Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Aww. Sure. Things will be different. I am not yet invested in these two. Really? I kind of like it. I'll take it for whatever gives Ashley Murray a more interesting plot. Yes. But, uh, eh. The game has begun the pawn. Also, this person who played Cheryl's brother, and now they're, like, gonna have a little romantic snuggle. I'm uncomfortable. Yep. That's all. There's your incest. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you asked for it. <laughs> well, I didn't. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then this intense serpent's world again we're we're getting a little whiff of the like hell's angel serpents of season one yeah more than the like indigenous refugee serpents of season two yeah huh and i also love that she, like she gets this slightly more um oh i think she wears that uh the the blazer the blazer in the first season i think you're right i feel like we've seen it before <laughs> i also love that she like tries to be pastel and like can't quite do it and has those yep. bright pink tights <laughs> or the short skirt this is a very good scene this shot this whole shot of them being <sighs> strangers really the the visuals in this episode really fed the the weird genre play so well as it so so often does. Um, that was such a signature sort of visual walkthrough thing, without being direct homage. Yeah. Really cleverly done. And yeah. Alice explains why it's a conspiracy, because <laughs> they're all afraid of each other in it. There we go. I believe that. I buy that. Scariest thing is other human. Yeah. Scariest thing that could be in the other in the unknown is other human much yeah. of the time. And also a scary thing that you encounter as a teenager stays like extra scary and unmanageable because you dealt with it as a teenager. Yeah, through the haze and distance. <laughs> <coughs> Where are your affirmations now, Alice? <laughs> that was a bit rude, sorry. A touch to affirmations. Um Hmm. So there, this show is coming down very hard on the side of this is some sort of weird brain virus. I mean, yes. Now, this is where, as a big D&D player, I don't take any offense because it's so hyperbolic that I, I know immediately we're playing type. Like, this does not in any way right. feel pointed at me or contributing to an actual culture that currently exists. I think it's safely removed from the from any existent yeah, culture that now. triggers moral panic and becomes much more like um you know, when theater companies do uh, a staging of reefer madness as oh. a like parody of these moral panic 50s videos that's the vibe i'm getting from the griffin singer gargoyles plot mm. that it's hyperbolic parody and i'm I'm wondering what's going to be under that. Because oh. I'm, I'm starting to suspect this plot is uh, is going to feed into another channel. In a way. Yeah, maybe. I guess we're really in the, like, the beginning of the game. I mean, what? Four episodes, yeah. Four episodes of 22. Yeah. Yeah. Like, remember what was happening with the plot in episode four last time? Yeah. You don't. That's the point. <laughs> That was pre-Drag Race. Oh, wait, no, that was Militia. Yeah, but that's certainly not where we ended. It was relevant, and we yeah. circled back nicely. But yeah, I'm... I'm. What's, what's really striking me now, four episodes in, is that they've been going so hard on genre <laughs> with, like, three or four stark genre episodes already. Mm -hmm. like, at least two, three-ish heavy genre episodes. Um... I feel like they're delving even deeper into that and faster into that than they did last time. Um, last time, last season. 
But there they had a very generic plot to leap off of. The Archie's dad got shot thing. They had a cliffhanger plot to leap off of. Um, which I guess they did here too, now that, I, yeah. now that I'm saying that out loud. But, um, hmm. You think no one would have just noticed those? The fact that they'd have nothing written on them. Yeah. Does anyone clean trophies? I would assume someone must. <laughs> Maybe they just stay behind the glass and hang out. I think it's also an interesting thing in... Like, who updates these things? Who is the curator and owner of the school belongings? So who's playing? It's Fangs, Sweet Pea, Cheryl, Tony, mm-hmm. and Jughead is Game Master. Yep. It's it's our teen serpents. And Jughead's clearly obsessed. Yeah. And this was the creepiest scene, I think, for me. Yeah. I liked it. It's only a matter of time until I ascend. <laughs> Good job, wow. Cole. Milk that nerdness. Be weird. Okay. Be weird. So, this <laughs> show... I mean, how many twists and turns has this show taken? So many. So many. Wow. I don't know, guys. Riverdale gang, do you know? Because I don't. Mm, we're all just strapped in here, I think. Um. So post-show thoughts. Uh, that was another experiment. I didn't love it as much. Um, yeah, I didn't either. It was very hyped. I think they ma- loved making it. Yeah. I think I got the vibe that the cast and crew loved making this episode a lot. I kind of wish we'd had it without the framing, except we wouldn't have gotten that really fun mm. moment with Jughead at the end. Yeah. Like, I, I could have sunk naturally into this story, maybe. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't think that would have done what they seem to be doing with the story. That might have served that story better. That said, it was so impressively condensed. Yeah. Yeah. With what time they had. I don't know if I really have a reaction other than what. Um, this is this is the episode that has felt the most like fan fiction to me. Interesting. Um, there's just so many um fan fiction specific genre points that it hits. The like the density of allusions to cultural touchstones. Um that's something that I think happens a lot in, in fan response media. Uh, a lot of memishness to bleeds in of whatever the moment is. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt a little bit too referential and tongue-in-cheek to be the actual canon. Um, but here we are in Riverdale. <laughs> what is canon? We're in several generations down. Anyway, um, but the very specific, like, filling in a missing moment in relationships and super trite relationships between these characters who we know and love. And you know who we haven't heard about? Sierra McCoy. How did Sierra meet Tom? I bet they were high school sweethearts. Yeah. That had a bit of a van- fanfic vibe. And I I very rarely say that without pure love. But in that, <laughs> in that particular aspect, there's some tropey things that um, felt fanficishly filled in. But I also think that was kind of a, like, that's what they were going for. I'll give them that. Interesting. That maybe they were going for that. I don't know how I feel about this episode and I need a week to digest. I'll know next week, Riverdale gang. Oh, good. I'm excited to hear your thoughts uh, and open with those next week, Chloe. No pressure. Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) Um, Riverdale is filmed and the Riverdale gang is recorded in the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. And uh, super special thanks to Thunderquack, Mike, and uh, all the Patreon folks keeping us on the internet. Yeah. And big thanks to all of you, Riverdale gang, for tuning in and listening. Yes, thanks for hanging out with us. I'm Chloe. I'm Ryan. See you next week. Till then.